Okay, uh, so uh, good morning. <clears throat> it is um, today is the second of so second of uh, second yes second of November. Excuse me. I think it's Wednesday and it's the year t- two thousand twenty-two. I I wanted to take a few minutes. Uh, it doesn't really matter the date, maybe, but. Uh, anyway, AD or CE as it is now, maybe, right? Because there was a little bit of a, we had a little bit of a conjunction. I think it was a few years ago because I had uh, changed a little bit, maybe perhaps, perhaps unattainably uh, or perhaps unofficially uh, the era that I was thinking, <clears throat> first of all, <clears throat> there are a couple different um just as a sort of side note, maybe, or as an addition to this basic premise or talk, there were there are a couple different ideas. One is, so if you read a little bit uh, in the esoteric literature, there is some indication that there is a new era that's dawning, uh, and it's been referred to by one sect as uh, the monistic era, one rather formal sect of Rosicrucian um, students, philosophers, things like that, perhaps. Um, uh, there is a website that you can go to read about it. <clears throat> and um, so anyway, uh, there are, they're listed as basically like three eras. It's interesting. Um, the Christian, then the monistic is the one that follows. And then the one before that, I can't remember if they named it or not, but if they said what it was, I don't remember. But this, uh, uh, I think of the era dawning around the time when Egypt was in its rather prime or whatever or perhaps before uh, I don't know but those are the basic it's interesting that they I think they do talk about Egypt uh, in that relative to that discussion the the era idea that I had was the UDI era UDI um, I don't know that it'll actually function, but it was just an idea that I had because I had been looking over some scientific materials and stuff, and I had was thinking that if we could formalize a little bit uh, some of our defense initiatives, uh, so-called, then uh, according to the sort of uh, a little bit better with respect to some scientific principles and stuff like that, then maybe we could have something that, that was a little bit more formal in nature. In other words, something that worked a little bit more perceptibly. Um, but in any case, it doesn't really matter if this functions or not. But the idea, just to mention it, was, it was UDI, UDI stands for the ultimate, or UDI stands for the ultimate defense initiative, or the era of the ultimate defense initiative. So I was thinking at that time that uh, perhaps it could be a little bit of an interim era or a small span of time. Because things we were I mean in a little bit of a bad shape and there's still some stuff this problem might be going on maybe I don't know maybe not it depends on how you look at things I guess in some ways but um, so that's I'm hi y'all hey what's up how's it going sorry, one second hi sweet hey man sorry I just saying hi <laughs> thanks <clears throat> Uh, so, but, um, let's see, think, um, yeah, so that, I don't know how much that matters, but I thought I would mention it because I even, even unto the date, which I didn't note down for some reason, I couldn't, or I didn't ha- have a way to do it or something. 
but uh, it was kind of interesting just to note this as well that the, the whole calendar kind of it's it sort of like it seemed to align in a certain formal series you know because we have different calendars and stuff but anyway I don't know uh, perhaps that was just my a, a relative notion or some kind of a notion relative to the situation or something like that or pertaining to it that may not have been accurate I don't know but in any case I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the um, about what is so um, there, there are a couple different ways to sort of approach it one would be to sort of address what I'm talking about in the first place because I think some people may not know, some people may. The other thing to do away would be perhaps just to talk about it. Um, I think maybe we could take a little bit of an aligned approach with you know, perhaps mixing the two uh, bare necessities. Uh, I think, uh, let's see. And perhaps there's a way to sort of describe them a little bit more um, intentionally. I don't know, you know. Um, so, <clears throat> for the benefit of people that may not understand this uh, or have been, you know, ha- you know, know it. Um, for whatever reason. So, you know, we have different spiritual teachings in the world. Uh, There are various, you know, there are a number of them uh, to some extent. And we have, there are different sort of basic, I don't know if I want to use the word goal, but there are different, there are certain like specific notions almost with regard to uh, like maybe aims of the religions, right? In terms of experience and um, enjoyment. In a way, because like if you look at, for example, um, the traditions dating back from around the time of Lord Krishna and then some of the other teachings that we have available, such as the Yoga Sutras from Patanjali, which are perhaps <clears throat> were extant and still are available uh, in some places. Uh, you know, if you go, if you go to, uh, well, I don't know if I should mention this, but if you go to theosophytrust.org, I think it is. Uh, theosophy is a word, and then trust, all one word. dot org. Theosophy trust. Uh, you can <clears throat> uh, uh, find the Yoga Sutras written down without any kind of commentary. I mean, there there may be some commentary, but they're not included in the documents themselves, which is, it's kind of a useful, uh, what is it? I mentioned that because it's, there's so many, there are a number of translations of the Yoga Sutras that have a lot of commentary within the pages. Uh, And so you, you don't always get the Yoga Sutras in their pristine, pure form, or they're just written down, you can read them. And, and I, I mean, it's my, it is my understanding to some extent, I don't want to, I don't want to really want to belittle the philosophers and stuff and the various sort of commentators. It's just that like the yoga sutras are useful in themselves. That's my sort of understanding of them. And, and I think that it's worth mentioning that because 
the Yoga Sutras are very little is known about them, and and, and there are even some schools that seem uh, to approach the instruction that's contained within them, or their instruction, in terms of the uh, with, with with the understanding that a person can learn very little from them in many ways, unless one is some sort of like a highly some kind of a Maharishi or something. I mean, like, I think that, like, um, you know, because, uh, but I don't think that that's exactly accurate. I think that that comes a little bit from the idea or from the experience, perhaps, of having been instructed in a formal one particular style of meditation or whatever, and then when you go to the Yoga Sutras, you're not going to find, as an individual, oftentimes you won't find what you're looking for because you have the only way for the experience to come about is through the way that you've been um, you, you know, the instructed, right? So <clears throat> we think like that, that was my experience in a way. You know, I learned to meditate at one point from one school and then or one tradition or whatever and then when I read the Yoga Sutras I was thinking well you know they, they don't exactly appear to contain the instructions of meditation within them although they do outline pretty much everything that has to do with meditation with respect to yoga in, in, at all I mean in like in totality they contain pretty much every teaching associated with yoga I mean in terms of actual experience I'm not talking necessarily about paths and things like that various um, features of yoga that have to do with uh, more mundane, like you know, act- activities and stuff like that that a person can undertake in his general sort of like everyday workaday life or whatever. I just mean you know, whatever, <clears throat> but um, but I think that the yoga sutras are very are, are very useful uh, when read um, and can be over time uh, much more much sort of. The, the, there's a sort of like an enhancement that can take place just through their the understanding of the of the words themselves. You know, it just takes because I think that like we have enough exposure to spiritual teachings in many respects, um, all across the board. Uh, anyone who looks or seeks for understanding can often find it. I think uh, or, or know anything, you know, because of some you know you might just do a search or you might ask somebody about it or think about it or whatever, and then these, these things sort of come together, right? It's just, I mean, but anyway, I mean, you could even have an idea of what something is like, maybe, and then, like, try something out, you know, just like, this is what my idea about God is, and then you just, like, might sit silently for a minute or a few moments and close your eyes or not or whatever, and then just go, go on, move on, and you would be, you might be surprised how much you might learn. If that idea has any validity to it, right? Some whatever valid sort of like nurturing component for the self or person. But anyway, uh, so several thousand years ago, when Lord Krishna was alive, or living, or whatever, uh, there was... um, you know, there's an entire religion that's cropped up sort of as a result of some of these things that he taught, and uh, I think, which is called Hinduism, the religion of Hinduism. That's where 
I think basically, from what I understand, that's where Hinduism comes from. Hinduism is a religion that is born out of the tradition of yoga uh, that comes from India. Yoga was <clears throat> basically, in many ways, what Lord Krishna spoke about. Yoga refer, refers to the idea that a person's nature is basically divine in essence because the person, in one way of putting it, is because the person comes from God. And so there's a way through spiritual practice for the person to become more and more in tune with his own nature uh, that he shares with the divine. And then through that type of practice, which is referred to as yoga, and that type of an experience and understanding and knowledge, you know, uh, whatever, and everything, then the person can become more and more, uh, I don't know if accomplish is the right word, but that much more sort of in tune uh, with the idea uh, or and with the actual understanding and experience that he is actually he could you know he could become happy that he has the potential for happiness because um, it is the it's, it's within the nature of the divine not just to nurture the individual but to to be that which it actually is like uh, <clears throat> which is divine uh, if that in in, in by all respects, if that makes sense. So the divine is something that, by generally speaking, unless there's something has gone wrong, a person might associate with things like bliss, um, knowledge, um, and creation in general, in some ways. <clears throat> um, purity. Um, and, and, and maybe even some experiences of... Uh, like propriety or happiness, maybe in a way, also. Like, you know, uh, sufficiency, I don't know. It's difficult to kind of go over that because, <clears throat> you know, we're, we, I mean, in a way, in part perhaps because we're per approaching the topic in kind of like a simplified form. It's just, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that, like, everyone may not know these things, you know, you, I, because I, what I was going to do is talk a little bit about uh, <clears throat> Buddhism, but not so much about the religion, but about where it kind of the the basic aim of Buddhist practice, and and but without introducing the religion itself or the practices for or the the sort of the teaching, what is referred to as the Dharma in Buddhism, uh, then. Uh, that then you you may not person may not understand where that all this is coming from you know I mean it would be again one way of doing it would, would just be to say I'd like to talk about this particular facet of <clears throat> of understanding or whatever in a way or like the basic aim of 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 human life and and then but if I, but if I, if I refer to it as as such person may not understand if he comes to these podcasts or whatever my teachings and then if he has no experience with Buddhism it may just sort of I mean I don't know maybe it wouldn't throw anybody off but I think that like sometimes alighting on the understanding isn't always the way to, to go right and most people have some experience with that who've studied almost anything and you can do it that way but the teacher will often know that it's probably may, may not be the time for that right and then the student may also understand that as well to some extent um, so anyway, and uh, that's basically the idea from from yoga and Hinduism is the idea that <clears throat> uh, in Hinduism, especially they they refer to as sanatan, 
as Sanatan Dharma, which just means that it's an eternal type of thing, specifically referring to the idea that the teachings related to Hinduism uh, <clears throat> are one, in a way, valid, and two, lasting. Uh, I think that's one of the references that can be sort of associated with that referent. Um, what was I going to say about that? Um, <clears throat> but I, I don't know. I, I think basically what that means is that the teaching is valid even unto today. Is kind of one of the ways that people put it, although I think that it does have some features that, that, that reference <clears throat> and that sort of associated it and even in, I mean, even sort of see <clears throat> um, these experiences have to do with spiritual life is kind of what I mean I don't know I was going to make some kind of an association or something but I forgot what it was going to be maybe that's good enough to just introduce the idea um, one of the kind of cool things about that notion of sanatan is and, and dharma. Dharma refers to the teachings of Hinduism because dharma refers to basically mostly refers to spiritual teachings. It's sort of like a name that you would refer that you could call that type of thing. Right? <clears throat> and Buddhism, the dharma is is the is the is the alloy, is the entire sort of set of spiritual teachings that are that come from that are associated with the Buddha himself. <clears throat> so, um, similar type of thing with Hinduism. Uh, the two religions, uh, in, in some ways, are, are rather similar <clears throat> schools of thought or whatever. Um, but one of the neat things about that notion <clears throat> is that uh, it sort of aligns all the different spiritual teachings in the world. Because it's like, it's one way of saying almost that... Throughout time, this teaching will remain valid. And then if a person just by chance is able to, you know, he finds expression uh, through some type of an introduction or whatever, foray into another type of spiritual teaching, one can then make the connection perhaps, even though, albeit perhaps an abstract one, and even throughout his own experience, that the two teachings perhaps have some similarities or that a person can find perhaps through some understanding and experience and um, perhaps investigation uh, or perhaps even with a sense of adventure or enlightenment that through exposure to the teachings or through some other form, <clears throat> um, through his own understanding or her, whatever, that, I mean, so, but uh, that, uh, that these things may have some <clears throat> inner sort of cohesive, elements that and then if a person learns about Buddhism which is a spiritual teaching it's, Buddhism is a religion basically it's it's uh, it comes from India it's set its time frame is about 2500 years ago the Buddha lived the Buddha was a man uh, who went by the name of Shakyamuni it was his name I think was Shakyamuni <coughs> uh, uh, Siddhartha was his name but anyway he was referred to as Shakyamuni I think he was a prince so there's some of those names might mean just mean prince, uh, <clears throat> but uh, and his last name I think was Gautama. <clears throat> so his name was basically Siddhartha Gautama. 
uh, Shakyamuni or whatever, something like that. He was from the Shakya clan, I think. And uh, I think Muni might have something to do with both divini- uh, both uh, regal, uh, I was going to say uh, the ruling class, or what is what do you call that? Like uh, something like that, the ruling class, and then... Uh, similar to like a monarch or something. He was a prince, an actual prince, lived in a palace. Uh, and then also to, has to do with spiritual uh, teaching. Teachers, I mean, uh, practitioners, valid ones. Um, <clears throat> hopefully, right? And that, so Buddhism is basically the school of thought that originated from his own practice. When the Buddha lived uh, after Lord Krishna's time when Krishna taught Lord Krishna taught yoga he spent time apparently on the battlefield along with other characters and stuff and uh, the battlefield at that time was referred to as the there was a famous battle that's depicted in the Bhagavad Gita which is a text from India is referred to uh, as as the the field uh, of Kurukshetra the battlefield where there was a some type of a at least the potential for an intense sort of battle among various, you know, norms, societal norms. The people that lived within the society, they were sort of at odds. And uh, <clears throat> so the whole teaching is sort of set down. And on the on the battlefield, Arjuna, this character of Arjuna approaches Lord Krishna. They may be the same person in actual fact. And he sort of says, you know, my mind reels, <clears throat> my stomach is in knots or whatever. And I don't understand what to do. Some of the people, you know, I see my family members around me or whatever. And, uh, you know, sort of like, a, given in a way almost, it's one way of putting it maybe, what's at hand? What, what is a person supposed to do? And then this whole teaching is sort of, the whole expression of the book is laid out within a larger text, which is an epic from India called the Mahabharat, uh, or the Mahabharata. It's another way of sort of putting it, saying it. Um, and so I think, <clears throat> and so Veda Vyasa, this one sage notes down apparently, uh, Vyasa may just mean t- speaking with oneself, but, um, <clears throat> uh, and then maybe in a way, perhaps in a way, Veda in this respect means from which a spiritual teaching comes forth. Right. So that then the sage finds this expression in his own cognition, and then this, and then as in as it's noted down in in in, in, in the world, you have a, a teaching that comes from this expression of sort of like the the capacity of the sage or the the I don't want to say monarch necessarily, maybe monarch, but the the, the this expression of the Christ during this period of time in the world. Then that teaching would then have been flavored from that, and then you have <clears throat> so the, the there are about I think eighteen chapters in the Bhagavad Gita, which is this it's a primary component as a you know within the larger epic of the Mahabharata, which is a, which is basically almost like a novel. It's so extensive in terms of its relation uh, of spiritual thought, from what I understand. Perhaps it's not all spiritual. Probably it might be similar to the Bible that we have, the Holy Bible. Um, and so you have 
there are about 18 chapters in it. The first chapter is where Arjuna sort of finds himself, in a way, almost despondent, it seems like. But really, he's just sort of, I think, thinking, like, what am I going to do here? And then the result, then there's chapter two, and then the remaining, I don't know how many, 16, whatever chapters there might be. And basically, <clears throat> in large part, uh, sorry about the car on. Anyway, in large part, uh, sorry. Um, the 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 entire the teaching of yoga is set down within that text. That particular, it's almost like a. It's just uh, that book, the Bhagavad Gita. It's referred. To, it's what it's called. <clears throat> and uh, Gita, I think, just means kind of just means like text or like teaching. I think set of teachings so in each chapter this conversation goes on between Arjuna and, and Lord Krishna which is sort of like uh, his highest sort of capacity I think formally formalized at the time in the context of, of the you know I think the field of battle which is what we refer to as the, the, the field of Kurukshetra I think the battlefield or battle of just the field is what you would call it you know, there because the armies are arrayed in battle uh, uh, and I think <clears throat> and so this sage goes over uh, these various instructions or the, the, the whole line of thought associated basically in one way one way to say it of yoga he talks about uh, <clears throat> meditation in a way because he talks about you know sort of kind of like getting centered in yourself in oneself with respect to one's understanding in these terms and then becoming and then he talks about the understanding having to do with with absorption or knowledge with respect to these things in terms of actual fact experience how those two things relate to one another in a way and then he even goes into some of his perhaps his powers but more specifically his own self he talks about what he looks like in different forms he talks about you know the, the various different references in spiritual literature that he sort of is, you know, that, and, and all these things sort of crop up. Perhaps these are new experiences for people to, to have understood at the time. But um, it's rather spectacular. Uh, it's sort of almost like you know, a fireworks show or something, the, what the things that he sort of speaks about goes over. And then they're set down in this book, this, this text profound profoundly uh, sort of significant for with respect to our inheritance as human beings in terms of spiritual life in, in, the, in the world here on earth or else um, <clears throat> the Buddha came so so Siddhartha lived same expression just different life uh, time I believe but uh, from what I know, my own life. Siddhartha lived 2,500 years ago, which is sort of in the middle between the time of Lord Krishna, which is about five or 6,000 years ago, 5,000 years maybe, and now, 2,500 years would be basically just directly in the middle. And it's interesting enough that in Buddhism, the, the Buddha, see, 
He was only referred to as the Buddha because the word Buddha just means one who is awake. So, like, apparently people would ask him, well, what are you? Once he became enlightened, and he'd just say, I'm just, I'm awake, or whatever. He just knows, kind of has, understands what's going on, can teach it, maybe. It just, is just awake to, you know, to, to the knowledge of life or whatever, just how things are, suchness of things in a way. Um, and so they refer to him as the Buddha because that's basically just kind of what the word means. <clears throat> Lord Krishna, I mean, uh, Siddhartha lived in a palace and he left at, a, at some early point, I think, from the palace, uh, which he wasn't supposed to do. Um, and in a way, uh, <clears throat> he had been visited uh, by someone when he was a baby the family received a visitor who was sort of like one of these people that will say like what the child's going to be like. I think maybe that's something that royal families would do when they had a young boy, maybe a girl too. I don't know. But uh, in this case, this little, he was almost like a soothsayer or something, something like, like a, perhaps some kind of like a small sage type, some like a thinker or sage or whatever, some kind of type of a visitor who just said um, that the child is either going to grow up to become a great world leader or he'll become a great spiritual teacher. And his father apparently, uh, or the family, or perhaps his father or whatever, didn't want him to become a spiritual teacher, so he, he, he kept him within the realm of the palace. And apparently the Buddha didn't really understand things like suffering because he had wealth and he had, you know, perhaps courtesans and different things, but he just was privy to what he understood and knew, was, had been exposed to. But anyway, I think one day he left the palace uh, just by accident or because he needed, felt the need to, because he felt <clears throat> sort of something was missing. I'm not really sure how that came about. I don't remember exactly. But in any case, he chose to leave literally leave the palace. I think he may have had a family there. I'm not sure. Maybe it was just the plans for one. I don't know. But he left. <clears throat> and then along the, his path, as he left this sort of, it's almost like one way of thinking about enlightenment. It's just to think about if everything around you is just perfect, then everything is fine. That doesn't make sense for the rest of us. And so uh, he came across some various things sickness you know he saw a homeless person that kind of thing i think old people she didn't have for some reason around him maybe um <clears throat> children and then or babies and uh and then of course uh he saw dead people death i think he he, he saw like a funeral procession or some kind of like a a burial rite or something, and then he had he would just ask people, "What is this?" You know, it's like because I guess he had never seen a, like a, a whatever. You know, I don't know if that scares people, but never seen a dead body before. So I mean, it would introduce to the idea that not everybody lives forever or whatever. However, things kind of you know, whatever the processes that we sort of think about how we tend to think about these things when we're when we might be exposed to them in one by one stretch of reason, right? So after the Buddha spent time traveling, uh, he left, I think, for, I don't know, at least six years. He was gone, according to the story, he spent time with uh, ascetic practitioners who would just, like, sort of deny themselves. Uh, they, were, they were just super disciplined, almost, in a way. They just wouldn't let themselves do stuff, like, you know what I mean? Uh, and he did that for six years, apparently, and then he just, like, was just, like... 
this isn't going to work, you know. I have to have some ease, some enjoyment, or else I won't be able to understand things. And he, I think he studied also with some Brahmin teachers, which are basically just like guys that like, they have so much meditative absorption or whatever, that they're just like super, they just know what's going, they're just like the highest kind of whatever, you know, and they could teach you how to meditate if, you, if they want, you know. And like maybe even for a fee, I don't know. But, and then he just said, this isn't going to be what I'm going to be able to use either probably to whatever at all, maybe to teach people what's going on, you know, and, and to learn it myself. And finally, so basically what happened, I need to go inside for a second. Let's see. So basically what happened, sorry, uh, in the Buddha's life, is he just sat down finally. He found this tree. Um, I think it was a tree at this place called uh, Bodhgaya in India. He sat down and he just said, I'm not going to move. <laughs> I'm not going to not sit here. I'm not going to get up, in other words. I'm going to sit down. He sat down under a tree at Bodhgaya. And he said, I'm not going to get up until, I'm, I, until I realize, until I become enlightened. You know. So I can understand how to solve these problems. Because <laughs> I don't understand you know, kind of thing, you know. The whole reason for his search was to understand how to, to, to resolve these problems for people and for himself. And, okay, hold on a second. <clears throat> Please. Okay. So, um, sorry, I needed a minute. Uh, please. I need to... But, um, all right. <clears throat> so, yeah, the Buddha, uh, yeah, I had to use the restroom, sorry. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> all right, so he, he, we were, I think I was describing uh, where um, the Buddha had, s he had sat down under the tree at Bodhgaya and um, so anyway, he's, I think he spent some time, he wasn't, I don't think he was going to eat or, I mean, he just wasn't going to get up until he, and, and, and so um, I do think it took him about 40 days. I'm not sure. Um, but I think that might be tr actually true. Uh, <clears throat> after 40 days, he became enlightened. I don't know, but I, I almost, I do think I, I rather, uh, I actually remember that as part of the story teaching or whatever uh, instruction, or what is, you know, there are some things that were associated with his enlightenment. Some, he had some visions he had there were various um, around the time that he was uh, beginning to understand or come, you know, approach this experience or whatever this attainment. Um, and we'll have to go over what enlightenment is too, because I don't think any, perhaps everybody doesn't know. <clears throat> you know, in, in in Christianity, we don't talk about enlightenment very much, but in Buddhism, and also I think in Hinduism, perhaps, and in yoga, it's it's almost all. Uh, it's like sort of like the all-encompassing topic. It's or it's like it's all important because you know, it's basically what the teaching is kind of 
it's basically that the, the, almost like the compass needle of the entire teaching. Right? It's like, yeah, especially in Buddhism, I think. <clears throat> this is where in Hinduism or in yoga, unity with the divine is it's almost like a self-explanatory type of thing. One would be enlightened given that type of an experience because you would just find the notion of yourself to be one that's more in line with what provides you with happiness and security, understanding, purity, and uh, that kind of thing. Ease <coughs> and, uh, and knowledge, perhaps all these different things. In Buddhism, though, it's spoken about quite specifically. It's, it's the entire, I mean, uh, it's one of the crowning achievements of that type. I, mean, I don't know crowning achievements, but it's just like, it's the whole set is built of it's sort of noted around that type of the, the idea or the, 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 sort of the in a way the approaching of enlightenment the experience of enlightenment the possibility of it in a way just means liberation from suffering suffering means in this respect unsatisfactoriness uh it has to do with experiences of loss and uh, the things that might cause, make for you know, cause us to to feel this unsa unsatisfied, unhappy, um, and uh, it has to do with the lack of understanding, perhaps. But certainly. Uh, that's kind of what I mean, and and and, and I think uh, there's some other ways to look at it, but that's basically what I mean, what it, what it kind of means. And so the liberation from that type of an experience, because oftentimes we have, we the, we have the, the you know almost anything, but you know a life. Anyway, <laughs> maybe there's, there's different ways to put this, but or whatever. I think that <clears throat> because I mean I I think one of the things. Well, I was going to say one of the things that might be worth mentioning is that I'm communicating almost like, well, not just with human beings, but, yeah, so they're, they're, but, uh, but anyway, um, that's kind of what I meant to try to say, I think, or to say, it's just that, um, enlightenment is the experience of liberation from these various pangs of, birth, death, sickness, um, I don't know, there are three, four, five different basic sort of boundaries, right? We're born, birth, death, um, I don't know what the other two, two or three might be worth. I think. I think old age is one because there are sufferings that come along with old age or sickness and then um, no, it doesn't really matter person I, get, I think I have to go into that maybe some other time but so basically enlightenment just means the, the you know the liberation from suffering you know. <coughs> uh, there are <coughs> some different takes on it because there are different levels or tiers of it experiences of it uh, but uh, basically, most of them, I think, it, in the ultimate sense, excuse me, they all basically move in one direction. There may be some that sort of stay a little bit more 
in stasis, and that might be okay. I don't know, but uh, okay. So the but uh, there were some things that happened. He he had some visions. He was visited by various devas and various gods and things like that. He had a conversation with uh, this one god. <clears throat> See, there there are like these different. There, I mean. It depends on your level of understanding, but clearly, I think that there might there there seem to be beings that live in other realms, <clears throat> uh, such as gods, uh, things like that. Uh, I'm not talking about it in terms of like you know, but I just mean beings that are are are, are, like, are actually, anyway. So he had a conversation with this god. Uh, one of the gods of creation, if not one of the primary ones, in, in, in terms of the way that to refer to him, uh, his god of creation named Brahma. And uh, I think Brahma asked him a question or something like that. If you can explain this. And I think the Buddha just, he might have just said, I don't know. I don't know what he said. But, uh, maybe he had an answer for him, I'm not sure. Uh, he, he had some interactions with uh, perhaps some less favorable spirits, maybe not. <clears throat> um, uh, you know, that may have tried to charm him. I'm not sure. That may be, there may be different ways to look at that too. But basically by the end of it, he had sort of proven himself to be worthy of this attainment and he became enlightened. And he became, he truly became the Buddha when he was awake. Uh, and so after that experience, um, and that accomplishment, he uh, was then referred to that way by people who had who would come up and to him and ask him once they you know people had asked him what he who he was or what he was what he was like and he told them that he was awake, <clears throat> let them know that that's basically what <clears throat> sort of qualified him in a way. Then that's they would refer to him as then you know from then on as the Buddha, uh, the you know sort of like the. Uh, the awakened one, or whatever the one, and uh, or, so anyway, uh, one who is awake. <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, one of the things that uh, I think happened. One, uh, there was one time. I don't know if it was during this forty-day period or whatever at Bodhgaya or another time, or whatever. But there was, there is a teaching in the Buddhist canon a set of teachings and books and stuff where <clears throat> sutras and things like that where the Buddha was said to have been from what I read was sitting down meditating he might have been meditating at Bodhgaya it may have been somewhere else and someone brought him some food uh, <clears throat> because he uh, and she uh, she referred to him as a noble one I think it was a woman a girl who brought him some food to eat <clears throat> and uh because I don't think he was eating or whatever. He wasn't, like, going to, you know. And so, like, that wasn't his plan exactly. Um, and so she brought him some food to eat. And uh, she referred to him as noble one. Now, this is interesting because th these things... I, I only mention this because for the average person, to find some direction in, in one's life, it may be useful to understand that uh, that this is a feature of nobility. To look into... To, uh, to, to not just to understand these things, but to but to perhaps try to align oneself in a way that one is, finds some area of interest in, um, 
in, in, in these types of <clears throat> uh, no, like I was going to say focali. It's like just because you have, there's all different sorts of things a person might be able to do. But if one wants to engage, might want to engage in something that might be referred to as a noble de- uh, enga- uh, form or practice, one could look into things like Buddhism and uh, perhaps other spiritual teachings and then uh, perhaps, you know, try to try to maybe amass or attain uh, know a little bit more, understand a little bit more about it one way or another. Um, And then, uh, so anyway, the, the, the purpose of this entire expression of teaching that I that I went over for the past it's been about 30 or 40 minutes I just wanted to talk about what the the, the so the in Buddhism <clears throat> when a person becomes enlightened like this that experience is referred to as what uh, by the term uh, or by what is called uh, or uh, the uh, or by the term or the, the there's a word for it there's a term for it that's called Buddhahood and Buddhahood is experience is basically what is the way that a person it's so, so a person that becomes enlightened in other words a person finds liberation from suffering um, is becomes a Buddha and, and, and that experience is referred to or that attainment or whatever is referred to uh, the experience is referred to as Buddhahood that's the term that people use to to refer to that type of a, a thing. Um, so it's it might be interesting to note that I don't think that the Buddha's aim was specifically just for himself, which is one of the things that qualifies Buddhahood. Buddhahood is its experience where a person who achieves Buddhahood or whatever comes enlightened has the in this sense has the ability to to liberate other beings from suffering potentially whereas uh, a lesser association in some respects not necessarily as a denigration but just a lesser association with awakening person may not have that type of a, a key right to be able to unlock these things for other people and not be able to do that yet. It may be that that person actually finds a way that he or she can, but it's just that it's interesting how the paths kind of coalesce too, but there's so much room to sort of begin to talk about these things once experience is sort of uh, in nature to whatever within the individual, I think, which is one thing we might be able to, to, to look at uh, a little bit. Um, so anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about Buddhahood. I think, <clears throat> I don't know if I should include it in this talk now that I've gone over the basic introduction because I'm, I might be able to say, we call this talk just like the sort of like the, the introduction to, to Buddhahood, experience and notion of it. Um, and then go over Buddhahood because I think that that might be more appropriate. Um, it also makes a little bit more sense, I think, right? Because we've approached this topic from an honest point of view, right? That I, I, the reason I'm, I, I set out in this particular 
teaching, to describe, the, you know, a little bit, uh, talk about experience of Buddhahood. And in a way we have. Uh, it's just that uh, I think if I, if I make this an introduction, it might make a little bit more sense because then I can entitle it, or I can title it that. So the person won't come to this talk almost like maybe perhaps expecting to, to, to understand a little bit about Buddhahood and then not get to talk about it so much. Uh, we have enough, I think. But then I think to start, <clears throat> and then if I title this introduction to experience of Buddhahood or whatever, or to, to the, or to the, or you know the definition of the term, then maybe I can, or some something like that, or whatever. Then I can maybe give a talk specifically about Buddhahood, which is, um, excuse me, about Buddhahood experience of Buddhahood, which is actually, which was on my list among other things. I, I had mentioned this list I think in one of the other podcasts, one of the last ones I made. Uh, there's a list of topics I'd like to go over, such as entanglement, which has to do with relationships, especially relationships perhaps with one's mother, perhaps father, others, uh, other people. But especially I've noticed that experience with relationship, my own relationship with my mother. Um, um, and just basically that whole experience of entanglement. And there are, there are other topics too, one of which I went over already. So, uh, But Buddhahood is on the list. Uh, so after this... This has been, I think this has been all right, maybe. The, uh, this this will serve as sort of like an introduction uh, to Buddhahood, which I think uh, needs the, a little bit of this type of an introduction because it has, it's, <clears throat> in a way, it's set so, so much sort of in the middle of all these different spiritual teachings, right, in the world, in terms of time, in one way is one way of putting it. Well, the course of time, <clears throat> noted history, uh, this this set of spiritual teachings arises from this from the Buddha's life, like from Siddhartha's life, or whatever. Shakyamuni, the Buddha, whatever, this prince, <clears throat> this man, or whatever, the Christ. The but I don't know what to call it. This, this <laughs> sorry, uh, but um, it just basically exactly in the middle realm between area between the, the sort of the more ancient teachings of yoga. And the present day, and the Christian era, Christianity in general, because Christianity was to, you know, within the life of Jesus Christ or whatever, his first lifetime, or whatever. This, I don't. The reason why I say first is because he's supposed to have returned. That's all I meant. Sorry, I don't mean to offend anyone. But um, <clears throat> so, but so anyway, uh, so twenty five hundred years later, we have this lifetime now. In our own experiences, experience of things, <clears throat> and so, just exactly in terms of time, that's precisely, basically, in the middle. Twenty-five hundred years ago, it's precisely in the middle between the ancient teachings of yoga and the present day, which is where we are, right? So that's kind of what I mean. Okay. So uh, anyway. <clears throat> um, I guess I'll go into in the next one of the next uh, conversations we have or talks about uh, about Buddhahood, um, perhaps more specifically and uh, a little bit more uh, totally. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. All right.